Hey, everybody. Welcome to Three Ringos, a Beatles podcast on WCCS Wheaton College Radio. I'm your host, Radio Ryan, and I'm presenting. It's called Radio Ryan Presents. I forgot to say that. I'm presenting it, and I'm joined by my fellow Ringo. Oh, I immediately have to make a correction. I've, I've done an error. I've called it Three Ringos, but in fact, today, we have a very special fourth Ringo. Do you want to introduce oh. yourself? <laughs> Nobody's saying who it is. I ended mid-sentence, which is your cue. I listen. You can't expect me to jump ahead. I'm new to radio. This is. I'm not used to this. It's uh, like TV, but worse. Oh, great, cool. <laughs> uh, I'm Caroline, a uh, big Ringo fan, or I don't know. I guess George Harrison is more my speed. Mm, well, it's not three Georges, so you got to yeah, go with the you, program. Can you I leave? Know. Yeah, (laughs) it's been great having you, Caroline, but um, (laughs) buttons right there. We just can't do it. Yeah. So today for our big white album spectacular, we've got double the songs. So I wanted to get double the Ringos. Most people turned me down, but we got Caroline on board for our extra member. And we're super stoked that you're here. Um, So we just have a ton to go over. So I want to get into it really quickly. This is the first part of a two part special episode about the Beatles white album, which is actually just called the Beatles, but seeing as that's dumb and boring and the cover is all white, we call it the White Album. Um, this is a, an interesting album. John Lennon said, you can hear the breakup of the Beatles on this album. So we are immediately exiting. We just came from Sgt. Pepper's and Magical Mystery Tour where everything's fun and psychedelic and wonderful. And this album is like throwing a bucket of ice water in your face. And it's like, wake up. It's 1968. Everybody's angry. Um, So uh, just to segue into the history of the album, uh, we've been discussing some projects that came in the 1967, sort of the Summer of Love era and all the psychedelic music that came out of it, like the Beatles, Sgt. Peppers. But in 1968, a lot of things changed for the Beatles, and like a lot. But the first one we'll talk about is their style of music. Music. They decide, you know what, we've been you know, screwing around in the recording studio a lot. We've been playing didgeridoos and having violins on our songs. And we're not necessarily abandoning that, but we kind of want to move back to regular rock and roll where everybody's playing guitars and drums and basses because on Sgt. Pepper's there was sort of like a shift around of like, okay, McCartney's playing organ and Harrison's playing sitar and Lennon's, you know, doing heroin in the corner. So there was a lot going, he's still doing heroin, but there's a lot of shuffling going on. And in the Beatles, they say, let's go back to being a rock band. We don't have to abandon all that stuff that we did, but let's try to make rock music again. But uh, it's abundantly clear that the Beatles all, like different types of music. Uh, we talked about this a bit on Revolver, but George Harrison's getting a lot into Indian music. Uh, Paul McCartney likes a lot of the British pop uh, music scene. John Lennon is going very stripped back to basics, um, acoustic stuff and like simple raw music. Ringo likes country. Everybody's got sort of this different style and they're all growing apart personally as well. One of the biggest personal changes in regards to the White Album is that John Lennon uh, divorces his wife, Cynthia, who all the Beatles knew and were very close with, to start dating Yoko Ono, who is like a legend in music at this point, simply for being John Lennon's like wife slash muse slash maybe the reason the Beatles broke up. And she gets a lot of flack when it's not deserved, but it definitely didn't 
help the Beatles stay together when this lady they've never met starts showing up to the recording studio. Because that was what was different about Yoko. It wasn't just John's new girlfriend. He brought her into the studio, which was sort of the unspoken, no girls allowed rule at the Beatles. Suddenly, John Lennon's like, yeah, Yoko's going to come in and sit in on the session and follow me into the bathroom and, you know, stick by my side. All that. I mean, that happened. Like, everywhere John went, she was right behind him. So the Beatles were kind of thrown off. They started bringing their own wives and girlfriends into the studio. So the vibe changed. Not the fact that there was women wear, but just that it wasn't just the four Beatles in the studio. It was bring your wife, bring your best friend, bring some guy you met on the street, which happens in some of these songs, just random people come in. Pink Floyd was here, I think, like just in the studio listening to them. Um, so a lot's going on with the Beatles, a lot's changing. Unfortunately, another change is that their manager, Brian Epstein, passes away in late 1967 at kind of a young age. I think he was only like 35, um, which is tough for the Beatles because he was the one that would book their shows when they were in the touring years. He's the one that would call them up and be like, hey, you need to make more music. And now that he's gone, the Beatles aren't like keen on hiring a new manager because they're all getting older and they don't really like listening to people. And Brian Epstein was one of the few people they respected and looked up to. But now they're like, well, nobody's calling us to get in the studio. Like why even go in? So there's some leadership conflict there. And Paul McCartney decides, you know, we're not going to make music unless somebody like pushes us in the butt and is like, get in there and do it. So Paul McCartney started being the one calling the other people up and say, Hey lads, can we get in the studio? Um, Ringo credited Paul. That's the re he said, that's the reason we made as many albums as we did because Paul was pushing us. But the other Beatles were like, do you think you're better than us? Like you're, you're not the manager. You're just one of us. But Paul was sort of in a difficult position of wanting to be just one of the boys or whatever. And then also trying to be sort of a leader to them, but it's hard to be a leader and in the group at the same time. So the, some of the Beatles hint, hint, John resented him for that and, and hint, 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 George, by the way, resented him for that, but um, he sort of felt like it was what he had to do. The Beatles also decide to go into business. They make their own record label uh, called Apple Records. I don't know anything about business, but everything I read about Apple is that it was a horrible idea and it went horribly, which was like, they were like, what if the Beatles albums were on their own record label? And they're like, that's great, but you need more than one band on a record label to make money. And they were like, we'll get other people. And then they got like their friends and no one else. And it's like, you need other big bands to sell. And it did not go well. And Paul McCartney said the business is what broke the Beatles up because they weren't businessmen. They were musicians, but they were trying to run a business and they didn't have a Brian Epstein to run it. And they were too you know, big on their own success to be like, somebody else handle it. They're like, no, we'll run Apple but it's like, you guys don't know how to run business. I'm not making any allegations, but, or allegories, I should say, but running a business when you don't know, when you're a musician is like running a country when you know how to run a business. They don't correlate. Anyways, um, especially if your business stinks and you're on TV and this is about Donald Trump. Anyways. Um, oh, now I get it. <laughs> thank you, Tyler. Um, the Beatles also, um, are getting into a lot of fighting now. They're, they don't have, maybe it's Brian Epstein, maybe it's Yoko Ono being the studio, but for whatever reason, they're starting to not cooperate on things. There's a lot of songs on the White Album that is just, well, it's usually Paul. It's usually just Paul, he'll just go in and do a track by himself, which he did on Yesterday, 
which was one song on Help, but there's like three or four songs on this album where Paul is the only Beatle playing. And the other Beatles are like, what, what do you want us to do? Sit around? And when Paul was on other people's songs, he's known for being very demanding and kind of a perfectionist. So that wasn't helping. John was being very disinterested. Some people have called this the last great Lennon album because the Beatles' next two albums, John Lennon's kind of out of it, whether that's due to at this time he's sort of addicted to heroin and uh, he's got Yoko and he's sort of drifting away from uh, being interested in the Beatles. Um, George Harrison is growing as a songwriter and he's, but the Beatles aren't giving him more space on the album. So like, no, it's the Lennon and McCartney show, but Harrison's like, well, I'm, I know it took me a while to get here, but I'm just as good as a songwriter as you guys now. I should have just as many songs, but uh, he wasn't getting them. So he was getting frustrated. So everybody's frustrated. There's a lot of infighting on this record. Multiple times the Beatles leave the studio and they're like, I'm out. I'm leaving the group. I'm never coming back. And then the others call him like, please come back, man. We love you. We need to finish this album. So they would. Um, and finally, the last bit of a piece is that this, a lot of the songs on this album were written in India. The Beatles in India is like, it's got its own Wikipedia page called The Beatles in India. It's like a significant milestone for the band's history. George Harrison, who, as we've talked about on a couple episodes, is really into Indian music. He's really into Indian spirituality um, and Indian culture. And he's like, hey guys, I know this guy, the Maharishi, he's teaching meditation in India. We should go to his like two week course in India and just learn meditation. It's gonna be awesome. And the Beatles are like, ah, I guess. They go to India to learn meditation and they don't have, the only instrument they know how to play, except for George who knows how to play Indian instruments, the only instrument there that they know how to play is an acoustic guitar. So a lot of songs on the White Album either were recorded first using an acoustic guitar and that was the base of the recording, or they ended up staying acoustic songs. And you can kind of sense, even the songs that don't stay acoustic, you can think, oh, it makes sense that this song started on an acoustic guitar. It's not like them on the piano or on an electric guitar. Most of the roots of these songs were acoustic. Uh, Ringo leaves after about 10 days because he can't stomach the food. He had like an illness when he was a kid that made it so he could only eat very bland things. Indian cuisine is not bland at all. And he said- Are you sure he wasn't just British? <laughs> <laughs> he, he did attribute to an illness, but it also could be that he didn't like it. And his wife was with him and she just straight up didn't like the food. They all brought their wives or girlfriends. And he told us, I think it was on Howard Stern or something. He told a very funny story about being in India. And they noticed that he really was like throwing up with the food. And he really wasn't stomaching it well. Like, oh, do you want some eggs? And he's like, oh, I love eggs. And then the next morning he found that they were burying the eggshells because you weren't supposed to eat eggs because it was like a religious thing. And he's like, well, don't violate your religion to feed me. Uh, and he brought canned, canned beans. And as soon as he ran out of canned beans, he left India. He's like, okay, I'm out of food that I can eat. Sorry, but I have to go. Paul McCartney. Why were beans his only option? Because they're bland. Because apparently he had like a stomach issue where he could only eat bland food. But about a week later, Paul McCartney leaves because he's like, I just don't really like this. Like, I don't really get it. I'm not a meditator. And that caused like a little bit of a rift between Lennon and Harrison and McCartney and Starr. Like, you guys don't want to come to the sick meditation course that I got us into. Like, you don't want to do that. And then eventually, while they're in India, they learn that this Maharishi guy that's teaching them meditation was like, 
or they they hear a rumor that he's being like creepy and harassing towards the girls which doesn't it turns out not to be true uh, and he wasn't doing this it was just a rumor that somebody spread to them but they left being like i can't believe you maharishi and there's a song on the album that we'll get to where it's lennon being like i hate you maharishi but then a couple of years later they're like sorry about that one maharishi uh, you weren't a creep so so but the point of me telling you that story is that a lot of these songs were written in india so put yourself in the mindset going into this album as caroline said to me before this is the most petty beatles album everybody's growing apart in a lot of different ways personally and musically as we've discussed um there's more an acoustic focused back to sort of our rock roots they were written in india and we don't really have a managerial force um to you know lead us and one of the effects of that is this is the beatles only double album it's got you know, back in the day, it was literally two albums, two discs. But what that means for us now is double the songs. And as uh, even the producer, longtime producer, George Martin, who wasn't involved with this album, he was on vacation or something, but this is one of the only Beatles albums he's not involved in. He's some, one of the, his assistants is the main producer and he quit during it because the Beatles were fighting so much. He's like, you guys have to get a new producer. I can't handle this. Um, Question, do you know if the Beatles ever like physically fought or was it mainly just they never like punched argument? each other but it was it was like i'm done i'm leaving i'm getting out of here as far as I'm i know they never got into like fist fights um tyler wanted some drama yeah he I wanted did. straight up beef ringo could have swung hands i, I know he had it in i him. think it's one of those things where they're all still really good friends with each other they're just in this like it's almost like being in like a family dispute where it's like, I'm not going to hit them. Like, I'm not that mad and I don't hate them, but I just can't be in the room with you. I don't know if you guys have ever done this with your siblings, but where you're just like, I can't even be in the room with you right now. Like, I just have to go. And yeah, that's, we just hit each other in that family. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's what would happen with the Beatles is like, I'm out. I can't stand this. Um, and they would leave the room and be like, I'm quitting. But they'd always come back. So the uh, George Martin, who wasn't the producer on this album, which was I think the first Beatles album since he met them that he wasn't the main producer was like, if I had been there, I would have made them a single album and just had them cut some songs because they weren't up to par. And a lot of people think on this album that some of these songs aren't up to par, but because the Beatles were in this, you know, frustrated state, if, you know, John says to Paul, Hey, you know, wild honey pie kind of stinks. Can we cut it from the album? Paul would be like, no, it's my song. We're keeping it. I want to cut Revolution 9. And they would be like, we're not cutting Revolution 9. It's art. But um, that's the mindset. I know that's a long history, uh, longer than we usually do, but a lot's going on before this Beatles album is even released. So before we get into the songs themselves, I just spoke for a long time. I want to know your guys' thoughts about how this album was made. Is it surprising to you that these conditions are like how they are do you think this affected the music in any way what are your what are your general thoughts i just i have to go back to one thing you said like 10 minutes ago at this point and basically you said ringo said the only reason that the beatles did so many albums because paul pushed them in the butt <laughs> pushed them in the butt is not a saying that is like my only comment i have to make on the I meant entire like, history of it i meant kick them in the butt but i didn't want to be like harsh i mean like he put this hand on their butt and like push them forward that's still not a saying like, you, you just said it like it was something we should all just be like oh okay well he, that's he, normal. he pushed their butts okay that's what Fine. he did okay okay metaphorically that's all i have to say 
Um, for me, I think that like to a degree, the background behind the album makes sense in terms of like, okay, so you have a lot of the Beatles who have their own individual songs on this album. So like clearly everybody kind of wanted more say in what they were doing. Cause on the Beatles albums before this, you'd get like, Hey, maybe here's a Ringo song there. Here's a George song there. And this feels like a much more complete idea of like, here's how all these Beatles are as people through their own songs rather than all on songs together necessarily. And they have songs on here where they all are together and they're great, but they clearly all wanted to try and do their own thing too. Um, having said that though, given how much a lot of them hated each other for the majority of this, it's more cohesive than I thought. Clearly they're, they're throwing a lot of ideas all over the place, but they it doesn't sound like they're in conflict with each other. It just seems like kind of like a like an inevitable like natural state i guess to me so i i thought it worked well yeah a lot of people have compared this album to revolver because revolver was it felt i compared it to like a literal revolving door of like every song felt like its own different thing white album is a bit different as you're saying instead of like on the previous two releases all these styles kind of bleed through the album every song kind of feels like its own tight piece and they might be completely different you know we've got country songs this album we've got you know weird like bluesy songs we've got like hard rock songs uh but they don't necessarily mesh with or a clash with each other like you're saying and i think ringo even said it he was like regardless of the fighting at any time when someone counted them in and was like, we're going to play this song, everybody always gave it their all. And he was like, that was the beautiful thing about the Beatles is even when we were really mad at each other during every song, they really, really tried. Like there's some beautiful songs on here where like you look up the story behind the song and it's like, yeah, John hated being on this song and he really didn't want to get cut. And you're like, John's amazing on this song. Like they all tried really hard, even if they didn't like it. So I, I appreciate that. I always thought of it as like, an anthology series you know with like black mirror twilight zone where they all kind of tackle the same general sort of thematic issues but they're you know different narratives entirely i like the anthology thing that makes especially considering that like a lot of songs here have an ending where like there's like this weird sound that just that just feels cinematic to me so i like how mm -hmm. you made that sort of analogy yeah i i definitely think it's a great um way of understanding it because they're all sort of approaching the same feeling of like, we all are feeling really weird right now in completely different ways. Um, some of them are sad, some is angry, some are disinterested. Um, it's really interesting. But with that being said, let's jump straight into the album itself and break down the songs. As, uh, as I said at the top of the episode, we're only doing the first, uh, well, if you had the physical vinyl album, which I do, it's at my house, which I'm not there yet, but I, nice flex. I wanted to bring it on screen and flex it to only you three, but I'll have to do that next week. Uh, but we were just covering the first disc, which is everything from the song Back in the USSR to the song Julia. So if you haven't, if you need to differentiate, it's like that. And then next week we'll do the rest. So as I said earlier, this is sort of a more traditional rock album. Uh, compared to the Beatles' last few releases, but it's also incorporating a lot of mix of different styles. Um, but the Beatles did make a conscious effort to sort of get back into guitar-based rock. And we can see that on the first song on the album, which is Paul McCartney's Back in the USSR. This is kind of a famous song. Um, it's a bit of a parody of uh, two different 
or two different things. The first is there's a Chuck Berry song called Back in the USA, which is totally like, oh, I can't wait to get back in the USA. And it's like glorifying the, like the USA, which Paul McCartney's kind of making fun of, like glorifying the USSR, which in the 60s was not a fun place to be. But he's like, oh, I can't wait to get back there. And the other one is the Beatles, uh, the Beach Boys, specifically uh, California Girls, where it's like, my hometown is the best and California's got the best girls. Whereas Paul McCartney's like, that's what anyone would think, even if they lived in somewhere like Russia in the 60s, where you were super oppressed all the time, they'd be like, oh, I can't wait to get back to Russia. So the other interesting thing before we get into our thoughts on the song is that Paul McCartney's playing drums on this song uh, because he was being too mean to Ringo. He was like, Ringo, you need to play it better. Like, you need to play like this, blah, blah, blah. And Ringo got really frustrated and he went to John and was like, I feel like it's you, Paul and George always against me. And John's like, I thought it was you three against me. And Ringo's like, oh, and he goes to George's house and he's like, I feel like it's you, John and Paul against me. And George is like, I thought it was you three against me. And Ringo's like, I'm leaving. I can't deal with this. And he goes on vacation for like two weeks. And the Beatles are like, all right, well, we need to do drums. So Paul McCartney plays the drums on this song and a couple other songs because Ringo isn't there. Things did mend because Ringo would come back and George had put a bunch of flowers on his drum kit. And they were all like, sorry, we missed you. But, he, but uh, due, to, due to tension, Paul McCartney is drumming on this song. Um, with all that being said about the history of the song, what did you guys think of it as a song and as an opener to this album? I love this song. I think it's hilarious. It, I remember listening to it as like a child and knowing that it was like genuinely a really funny song. So I just, I don't know. I've always just, this song makes me happy because it's kind of stupid and it's kind of mean spirited, but I just, I don't know. It's like tongue in cheek. I agree. I, I really like it for that tongue in cheek quality. The fact that it has kind of an edge to it. It's, it's cool because there's been a couple times over their past few albums where they've kind of done like a, a Chuck Berry ish influence type of thing uh, where they did a lot of songs like that in their first album. Then later on they would get less and less, but every once in a while they would do a track like that and they do it again here. And it turns out really well because it has that uh, kind of uh, self-aware kind of edge quality to it. Anything with the Beach Boys, I'm gonna submit my Beach Boys stand membership card here, uh, is great. I really like the fact that they have that sort of influence in the vocal harmonies, great guitar work. Um, I really like just the, the, the moment the song starts as well. They just kind of, you hear the plane coming in and then like little cool bass line thing. I think that's great. So I think it's very energetic and fun. I mean, I think their, their support of Stalin is not only irresponsible, but reprehensible. And I think that's something that I'm surprised the other two like haven't brought up. Like, let's not sugarcoat that. Besides their support of a murderous dictator, it's a pretty good song. Um, and my last note was, I guess I do like it. So I, I guess I like the song. I was like, I remember there being low notes in the song and the Beatles don't usually have low notes. They usually go like, it usually just goes up and it's like, oh, that's surprisingly high for any of them. But like there was low notes that I thought was cool and I really loved the harmonies. I think there was distortion on Paul's voice, which doesn't usually happen. Paul's voice uses his own distortion because he just does whatever. Um, but other than, other than the reprehensible political behavior, it's a really good song. Um, completely ignoring that. Uh, yeah, I really like this song. I think it's one of the more famous uh, Paul songs. Um, I think his, his wild vocals on this are sort of like what he would do more 
in later Beatles albums in the 70s, and I really like it. Um, I always was confused when I listened to the song when I was younger, when he says, like, Georgia's always on my mind. I was like, I thought we were talking about Russia. Why is he talking about – I didn't know there was a country named Georgia. I thought he was talking uh, about the U.S. state of Georgia. So you were stupid. I was stupid. But, yeah, I do really like this song. Um, I like the Beach Boys style to it, even though the subject matter is completely different. This song was inspired because during that meditation trip in India, the Beach Boys were also there because I guess the Maharishi was just inviting a bunch of popular bands. I think the Rolling Stones were there too. Uh, that's that scene in Dewey Cox where they're all in India. Like that happened, <laughs> like they were all there. And um, I wrote a song about an octopus. <laughs> the... Um, uh, Brian Wilson, or no, it was Mike Love of the Beach Boys was there, and Paul McCartney played the song on acoustic guitar, and he's like, what do you think of Mike Love? He's like, you should talk about the girls in Russia. And he's like, you, you guys are the Beach Boys. All you talk about is girls and surfing. He's like, no, 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 but in Russia, I bet they have good girls. You should talk about the girls. So that's that's when he added that part. But well, It's, just, it's nice to see the depth of the Beach Boys, you yeah. know, just the that, emotional depths they were climbing. Well, it's not Brian to. Wilson going to like, oh, you should lay around. It's just Mike Love being like, talk about girls, man. Talk about yeah. girls. I saw a tweet the other day that especially made me laugh because it's like they said like there are two types of Beatles songs, uh, two types of Beach Boy songs that are like girls are great. I love surfing. And then the other kind is I want I'm going to die alone. <laughs> Brian Wilson wrote those ones and they're the yeah. best ones. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think this album's a great it's a banger, of course. And I think it's a great opener for uh, for the album. So jumping in from back in the USSR to track two, John Lennon's Dear Prudence. Um, this song was written in India uh, because they were there with actress Mia Farrow and her sister Prudence. And she was very much um, like, I don't want to be in India, this place stinks. And John Lennon just got the idea to be like, come on Prudence, come outside, enjoy the nice weather. It's a really simple premise, but it turns into the emotional depth of John a, Lennon. It ended up being a pretty great song, in my opinion. So what did you guys think of Dear Prudence? I mean, I actually surprisingly liked John's voice on this. I know I'm usually a big critic of his voice and different distortion levels, but I thought they actually, like, they got it right. I really liked it here or whatever. If there was any effects on his voice, I liked it. I could be totally wrong. But yeah, I didn't write a ton down about this song. And I didn't know what it was about. So I think I thought it was something completely different. But like, I don't even know. But I liked it. I thought it was really good. I really liked the uh, emotional whiplash going from back in the USSR to a, a very, very, like, yeah, emotionally charged ballad dedicated to this, you know, I didn't know the backstory, but this mysterious woman named Prudence who seems to be going through a rough time and you know she needs to reach some sort of emotional nirvana and i don't know i just i think it's funny i just this whole album is just like really really amusing to me i i had never heard this song and i loved the hell out of it i think it's just really beautiful it has a very peaceful bright vibe to it that is able to maintain throughout the whole track um i like you said i really like john's vocals here they just feel very gentle and earnest and it kind of pairs well with the lyrics as well really great guitar work as well and the way that all the instruments are layered in the back i love how it continues to build throughout the song and then it ends with just it all kind of stripping back except for just the strumming of the guitar i think it's a really nice note to to end on um it just has a very pure vibe to it i i just i enjoy 
how bright and uh, and optimistic it feels. So I I loved it. Yeah, to Caroline's point about the transition between songs, I do like that at the end of USSR, there's another one of those plane noises, and it segues right into the guitar of Dear Prudence, which I really like. Harrison, I were you going to say something? I didn't want to cut you I was off. I going to say it's interesting because I mean John, like his songs are tend to be the more depressing ones and like uh nothing matters and we're all dead but then like paul is the one who usually has like the like ryan you said oh prudence come outside like that's like that's a much more of a paul vibe which is interesting like john this is a john song especially one that again i usually much more critical of his voice than a lot of other people's and i actually really like this one yeah i think this album has a lot of great uh, range for all the Beatles and I, it's fun on this album that you get that cross of it's usually you know you think of a lot of John Lennon songs you get songs you know like that are just titled like I'm a loser help and then Paul's are like it's getting better we can work it out but on this album John has very gentle songs like Dear Prudence and Paul McCartney has Helter Skelter which like invented heavy metal so it's a lot of fun stuff uh, yeah, I love Dear Prudence. I think it's a great song. I do. Uh, Tyler, you had some great points about. I love this song's build up and how it's it's very natural and gentle. And um, Caroline, you had some great things to say about just calling Prudence to me like just you're in India, enjoy nature, just enjoy your life. Um, and I think it's a it's there's very whenever John makes a song, I do feel like generally his songwriting is either pessimistic or sarcastic, um, which probably speaks to his personality. But I liked that this song was just genuinely positive. It wasn't like come out prudence, like with like some sort of like, get out here, you idiot. It was very gentle, like, come on, it's fun. Come out to play. And so uh, we're two for two so far. It wasn't like, come on, prudence, let's go die. Yeah, it wasn't like get out here, Prudence. I have a gun. Like it was like, hey, come on, Prudence. We're we're gonna we're gonna enjoy. We're gonna go on a walk. We're gonna enjoy. Unfortunately, nature. he did write a song like that before. <laughs> yeah, that, so. yeah. I I was editing some of our older episodes today, and I there is that part at the end of Rubber Soul where it's like, God, this album's so great. None of these songs are bad at all. Like we love all the songs, and the last song is called Run for Your Life. That's John Lennon being like, I'm gonna kill you if you cheat on me, and everyone was like, I'm very uncomfortable. So uh, glad to see we're not doing that right now. Uh, the third song on the album uh, is another John Lennon song called Glass Onion. I freaking love this song. I, I'm just now, because of Caroline's comments, realizing how many songs on this album are like actually funny if you think about them. Glass Onion is sort of a sequel to I Am the Walrus, which if you remember was written because a high school student wrote to John Lennon being like, hey, I love the Beatles, but my teacher's making us analyze your lyrics in class. And John Lennon was like, well, that's stupid. So he wrote, I am the walrus, just to confuse them when they would analyze it. And he did this. such a jerk move. We I think it's hilarious. Before. It's such a mean, like, oh, a teacher is trying to, like, relate to their students <laughs> and, like, keep up with the times. And he's like, no, I'm going to purposely ruin your day. We know but that he would teacher. hate Dead Poet Society. <laughs> well, he, he kept it up for Glass Onion, which references multiple past Beatles songs and apparently everybody was in a fun mood because Paul McCartney even parodies his own song because after he says I told you about the fool on the hill Paul plays this funky little recorder piece like what was on fool on the hill and it's sort of him like playing around with uh, the lyrics and he said he threw in lines like the walrus was Paul just to confuse people and be like stop analyzing our lyrics we're just musicians um, so I what did you guys think of glass onion 
And I like how it was, we just make art, stop thinking about it. It's like, really, dude? Come on, John. Anyway, I um. Do you have any fun, Harrison? Do ever. I have any fun? Yeah, no. Ever. Because there has to be someone who doesn't have fun. <laughs> He's really committing to the Simon Cowell right now. He just doesn't want yeah. to do the accent. Look, I'm. it's not that I don't have fun. It's that I'm always right. And it's just really difficult. You wouldn't understand what that's like, Caroline. Like, you no, really wouldn't. But I for accept me, my, my flaws and shortcomings. It's just, I wish I could relate to that, but I just can't. But anyway, this song... I don't think I didn't like it at the beginning. I don't think I was a huge fan of all the references, but it grew on me by the end. And like there was a, I think I like you mentioned the music, the instrumental part too, and I didn't like, I did like that part to it. But yeah, I still think John was a jerk for trying to just mess with that one teacher who was trying to relate to their students. I just I don't know. I never knew what this song was about. I just thought it was really catchy. Um, I liked the guitar. I liked. I don't know. I just, I don't really have anything like concrete to say about this. I just, cause I didn't understand a lot of the references growing up. I was just like, I don't know what uh, the wall was, was Paul. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know like strawberry fields. I was very like centered around this one album. So I just was like, Oh, this is weird and incoherent. Um, I guess. Sure. Yeah. It's not, my favorite song in the album but i do enjoy it definitely i like the fact that it's self-referential like the idea that it that they're kind of aware of this kind of inner beatles mythology within all their songs because like so many of their songs they're coming up with characters they're telling a little story so it's cool to see them kind of take like a like a winking angle at it um the i really liked paul's bass and like the strings in the back for a lot of it the ending definitely caught me off guard where it just transitioned to some weird like like almost 1930s like MGM sounding thing you'd hear like the end of the Wizard of Oz or something. Um, this is like going to be a really weird reference that doesn't sound like it's connected, but there's the the Kanye and Jay-Z album Watch the Throne kind of has that at the end of every song where it'll go back to this really old sample for like 20 seconds at the end of every song. It's like the same sample of the same like old timey string tune. And it it gave me like a weird connection to that it definitely wasn't i don't think they listened to glass Onion and we're like we're gonna do that but it's like a cool way of the influence of it i don't know i think john lennon listened to watch the throne and was like oh (laughs) jay-z i I gotta write this one in i also i think we heard the meanest thing tyler will say about anyone which was you know it wasn't my favorite song (laughs) i do have a song on here i will have harsher words for but i'm not going to say which one Wow. Them's fighting words. Yeah, I like Glass Onion. I think it's a fun song. Um, I like a lot of the drums on here. It's Ringo's first song on drums for the album because he didn't play on Dear Prudence either because he was out for, you know, that tiff he had with Paul. But I like the drumming. I like I like how much fun John seems to be having making fun of their own music. Um, he's getting he's getting really into it. He's like putting a lot of like sarcastic emotion into his singing, which I really enjoy. Uh, yeah, I think this is a fun song. Did Paul play drums on it again if Ringo wasn't there? Or did they Paul, uh, Paul played drums on Dear Prudence um, and back in the mm-hmm. USSR, and okay. Ringo played it returning on this one. Uh, we're going to cut over to our fourth song, uh, which is like kind of famous, kind of infamous. It's called Obladi Oblada. This song has a lot of like, no, like rumor about it. it. It was apparently one of the other Beatles' least favorite songs they ever did. 
they really did not like doing it because Paul McCartney was really perfectionist about it. And like, we have to get it right. And they're like, this is some weird, like, this song's like too goofy to like try this hard on. And they got really upset, you know, trying to get it all together. And it was one of the examples they cited of Paul being, you know, domineering and a perfectionist. And a lot of fans don't like this song because they just don't straight up like how it sounds. It, this is, I feel like this is a very divisive love it or hate it song. Um, the opening piano riff was really hard to get. And they kept being like, no, it's not right. It's not right. It's not right. And then one day John Lennon came in apparently really angry or really high on drugs and was like, come on. And he went, do, 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 do. And he got it like right away. And that's the take they used of him just being like, we're just going to do it. We're just going to do it right now. Go. And um, so they kept that part in and it's got, uh, you know, John on piano, which is, it was usually Paul, I think on piano, but John was just like, we're just going to do it. This, this is how we do it. And it ended up, uh, staying in there's a there's a couple references to this song by other beatles is like we hated this and um even there's a song later uh on the white album where george harrison references oh bloody oh blah, blah. um it, it's a controversial track and uh i want to know what you guys think about oh bloody oh blah, blah. i have no idea why this song is controversial i can get it not being your favorite on the album because it's not my favorite on the album like and i can even get like not thinking it's great, but it seems like a song that's kind of difficult to dislike unless you like lock yourself in a room and listen to it for like 48 hours straight, in which case I'd get it. But otherwise I just find like it has a, the upbeat vibe of it. It's just kind of infectious. It's pretty hard to deny like how, like the delightful vibe here. Um, I It's like, sure. The main refrain in the story it's telling is simple. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing though. They've made, like simpler songs that were still a good time. So it's fun. I like the horns and piano near the end. People got to get over themselves. It's fine. Well said, Tyler. I Thank love this you. song. This, I don't It just, I think in terms of like songwriting, it tells this like really cute little, almost like folklore-ish romance between Desmond and Molly. And it's just, it's goofy and it's funny. And, you know, yeah, it's lighthearted and, and, happy it's like one of the happiest songs on the album i think so it's just a nice little breath of fresh air before we get into like julia or i will or something i think it's it's often asked like by clergy academics and lay people when did western civilization reach its pinnacle and now we have an answer the fourth song on the white album this is not only the greatest, I apologize for the sirens in the background, but Malden's like that regularly. They're coming to arrest you after that dumpster fire of a take. That was, I will drive to wherever you are, Ryan, and slap you across the face, which will be difficult because I have to keep the zoom running the entire time. Do you but see anyway, what this song does to people? Like, I there's no reason divisive. for it to do that. It is divisive. I just was not expecting that, like, such a positive thing to come out of your mouth. <laughs> I'm generally see, shocked that you see you can like say it. that because we don't know each other that well. <laughs> the other two can say that We've, we're too far in. You can definitely right. say I'm that. I'm going to I'm going to try and steer Harrison into telling us. I'm going to the right thing about going, the song. I think listening to it, I agree with what uh, Tyler and Caroline said, but I think it's an underrated song for how strong musically it is. I think I think there's very few even 
I know this is a Paul song, and I doubt there are many Paul songs you could point to, even if you don't like the lyrics or the song in total, where you can't say it's not like strong musically. Because I think he tends to be able to put like a musically strong song together, even if it's not the best song of all time. And I think this was an example of that. Yeah, I uh, I like Obladio Blada. I kind of agree with what Tyler was saying, is that when you're listening to the Light album, if you listen to the song once, it's really fun. The more you listen to the song, the more annoying that opening riff gets. It's so loud if you've heard it more than once at a time. Um, I think it's kind of fun. Uh, it was inspired by Paul McCartney had some friend who would just say like, Obladio Blada, life goes on. And then when Paul McCartney wrote that, he like sued it was like i should get a songwriting credit and then the court was basically like you can't take credit for something you just say like it, it's not like you wrote it down or it was in a book um and then the other point i wanted to make was at the end he messes up he says like desmond puts makeup on and molly sings with the band when he repeats the last one and then he's like oh, i messed it up and then the other people like, can you, can you keep it in, please? It's one of the only fun things we like about this song. Um, so that got kept in. I think it's, I can't, I, I guess my point is I can imagine, I like this song listening to it, but I can totally imagine if I had to play this song six times in a row, I would shoot myself in the head. Um, and I guess that's, those are my final thoughts on it. I mean, I the guess it would be, it'd be you difficult for you because you don't play an instrument. So I get why you would be so frustrated. Well, but... For the Beatles. I, I felt like that was a little uncalled for, and I'm going to cry. The fifth, cry, cry, the fifth song, I'm just going to come out and say this. I think this song blows. Uh, this song is called Wild Honey Pie. Um, so agreed. It, it's 52 seconds, and it's just Paul McCartney. It's the first song in the album of many where it's only one Beatle, and it was him sort of playing around in the studio. He already wrote a track later on called Honey Pie, and he was just kind of singing the lyrics to it in this weird voice. It's a really weird voice. It sounds like the song is like wrong. It sounds like it's unfinished. Like that first chord when you hear it, it's like ding or ear. You're like, oh, that's not supposed to be there. Um, I do, usually don't jump right into my opinions on the tracks, but I have to say this is one of the worst Beatles songs. I think it's totally the, the track you point to of this album being an example of, I'm not cutting it, it's my song. I'm Paul McCartney, it stays, where if you were making, and it's because it's a double album, it's like, well, we need to fill the space, I guess we'll keep Wild Honey Pie. I think, I think one of the only reasons it stuck around was because George's wife, Patty, liked it. And they're like, well, Patty likes it, so I guess we'll keep it. And it, it's, it's one of those songs where if you were making a, a, just a regular, like, 13-song Beatles album, and Paul come up to you with Wild Honey Pie, this 52-second pile of garbage, you're like, no, no way, man. This is a Beatles album. We're not putting wild honey pie on it. All right. That's my rant. What did you guys think? I don't like it, but I like the story that it was for George's wife. Cause that's like, it's just funny that like they were in a, they were all notoriously bad to their first wives and like first steady girlfriends. So it's sort of funny that this is like the one thing they gave her of like this awful, awful song as she was being mistreated and everything. It's like, it's not funny. It's honestly incredibly sad if you think about it, but it's a little bit funny because they're just like, you can have this song anywhere. We're going to be awful. Yeah, I, I actually, that story might be about a different song. I know there's one song on this album. I think it's this one where they kept it because Patty Harrison liked it, but um, I think it's a song. It might be a different one, but I, I hope think... it was a better song. <laughs>
I just, it's like a dissonant mess. It just, yeah, like you said, it just sounds terrible. And he do, I hate the voice that he does. And it's stupid. And I, I don't even think there's another lyric than just honey pie. He just like repeats it over and over and over again. So it's just like, I guess from, it could be seen as like a skit almost, like a weird bridge between like the two when you're when half. you're listening to an early 2000s rap album and yeah. between songs you just have like one minute of minute being like hey man are you still making that album and it's like come on give me the songs or eminem's like threatening to kill his mom or something yeah it's definitely <laughs> it's not as uh, emotionally intense but i think it still serves a purpose as like eh, why not it sort of hits right in the middle i guess we'll keep it yeah, uh, the song is horrible. Um, <laughs> okay, so let me focus on the bright side. The bright side is that it's 52 seconds long. So if you wanted to, like me, you could just consider it an interlude gone terribly wrong rather than like a full song on an album like this where it doesn't deserve to be on it. But it sounds like the theme song for like the worst Cartoon Network show ever made. Where it's like if they tested out Ed, Ed and Eddie, and they and they like it was like the government testing it out on people to see if they could break or something like they just distorted it enough so that people would not want to listen to music anymore. So it's not good, but um, you know so you were, they you do a lot better. You said let this. me say the positive, and then you said this song could ruin music for people. <laughs> no, no, they could listen. They could listen to this song and be like the entirety of music. I'm just over it. Listen. Silence from now on. Listen, it's. <laughs> it's 52 seconds long it could be worse i think but this, it's bad i think this song normally when there are beatles songs we don't like like on the first couple albums when we're like uh this song isn't great it's usually like this isn't up to the beatles standard or like they could have done better you know it's not the worst song in the world but by beatles standards it's a bad song i would not play this ever in my life unless I wanted like for something like this or if I was like hey do you guys want to hear a really bad song like this is if aliens came to earth and they were like show us the Beatles and anyone thought of showing them this song I would have them murdered I think aliens might like this song I don't think <laughs> aliens would be like oh what like is it. this strange frequency <laughs> there's probably some dogs that hear this song and they're like oh that's cool because their ears are different but to human ears a pile of garbage the only one of the only Beatles songs I think is like gen, genuinely really really bad like not Beatles bad like music standard bad but hey they get better <laughs> yeah uh the next song uh is another I get hopefully Wild Honey Pie was a joke because this next one is literally a joke it's called the continuing story of Bungalow Bill which I have to hand it to John Lennon he has amazing song titles on this album if you look at every john lennon song on this album half of them have just amazing titles including the continuing story of bungalow bill it could have just been called bungalow bill but calling it that is just so fun it's a weird like western parody song it has vocals from yoko ono which is like kind of cool but also you can tell the Beatles have like never had guests on their songs ever. And then in this album, John's like, hey, my girlfriend's going to sing on this song. You have to be like, that's a little weird. Um, but I want to know what you guys thought of the continuing story of Bungalow Bill. Um, I, I thought it was decent overall. I like the fact that so early in the song, there's a change up in structure because 
the changeup that it does, like the slower part with John singing, and it's, I think Wikipedia described it as like a flamenco guitar, which I'm sure isn't like the term for it, but whatever guitar was playing in the background with him singing very slowly, that was easily my favorite part of the song. I like that a lot. Um, I think the hook is decent. It's just repetitive. And so I like the song overall, but I think you could have cut like 30 to 45 seconds from it and it would have been better. But I do like it overall. In a weird way, I really like uh, Yoko's terrible vocals on it. I don't know why. I just feel like it really, it like, I don't know how to explain it. She's, her voice is not good. It's really not good. And the fact that John was so adamant as to like, yeah, my girlfriend, she's going to be on our album and you can't tell me jack shit. She's just going to do it. Uh, and that is what came out of her mouth. I don't know. I just, I think it's sort of, is an interesting like meta commentary about how love blinds you to your partner's faults but you know now we have it forever emblazed uh, on a track what a, what a deep read into this song <laughs> and um, i said this, i like this song i do like this yeah. song i think it's you know a narratively or you know lyrically it's interesting from it's from my notes it seems that i like this song but my notes are very weird because I can't remember it, the song at all. Was there mention of an elephant? Was an elephant mentioned yes. in the song at all? Okay. So then I, I asked the question, I wrote, did they write an anti-murder song or an anti-hunting song? Because like, that would be, I guess, they don't take a lot of political stances in their songs. So I guess that's one. They're just like, hey, maybe we shouldn't murder people or hunt. Yeah, I don't it, remember the song that it well. Is, it is an anti-hunting song a little bit. It's also kind of a joke. The story behind the song is kind of funny. They, they're in India, and this, this rich white lady is there with her son, who's like college age. And all the Beatles are super nice to them. She wrote, she wrote a biography, and all the Beatles are super nice to her, except for John Lennon, who doesn't like rich people, which I, I don't have opinions on that. But um, then uh, they go out tiger hunting this this uh, rich lady and her son and he shoots the tiger because it's like jumping at him trying to kill him but they also went out there to kill the tiger and all the other Beatles were like eh. and John Lennon goes wouldn't you call that slightly life destructive <laughs> which is a funny way to say things um, and so you get this really funny little song out of it I love the chorus on this song I like how it's all four Beatles singing, which is cool because usually it's a three-part harmony, but Ringo gets to sing too. It also includes uh, Yoko singing and uh, Ringo's wife, Maureen, at the time was also on, uh, during the chorus. I just think it's a fun, you can, it, you can definitely see the song being sung around a campfire with John Lynn just strumming, everybody, hey, bungalow bill. It's a fun chorus. I don't love the verses that much. Yoko's voice always like startles me when I hear this song. I'm like, whoa, I didn't know she was on this song. But um, it's, an, it's definitely a fun one. Yeah, I wrote down as one of my notes, they seem to throw everything at the wall in this song, just like <laughs> what will stick and work. And like, yeah. I think it was, I think, yeah, I did actually like it. And I, one of the questions was who were the voices? So I guess now I know Yoko is the answer to the, the voices the, in this. The other funny thing is there's that like five second little it, it is really a flamenco style guitar and then it's never heard again but they were kind of throwing stuff at the wall um 
I think this is the funniest track placement of all time. Our next one, which is George Harrison's While My Guitar Gently Weeps. In my opinion, this was George saying, I'm done with these stupid songs. Obla di obla da, bungalow bill, wild honey pie. Roll them out the window. I'm dropping a masterpiece in the track listing. Just like I think it's so funny after all these like fun, happy joke songs. He's like, my life's work. Just throw it in there. Um, there's not, there's not enough I can say about while my guitar gently weeps. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about it before we get into our feelings. George Harrison wrote it. I. It's got a lot of lyrical interpretations, which I think are really interesting. But the big thing to remember, it, or to remember, but to know is that the Beatles were playing on the song and they, were, they weren't giving it their all that they usually do. And George Harrison being the like, badass that he is goes, you know what, I'm going to get my friend to play on this song because these guys, you know, John got his girlfriend. I'm going to get my friend to play guitar on it because maybe if he comes in, they'll appreciate it more and be like, oh, you know, we have a guest, we'll do it. And his friend is Eric Clapton, like one of the greatest guitar players of all time. He's like, hey, Eric, come play lead guitar on this song on the Beatles album. And Eric was, Eric Clapton was like, I can't play on a Beatles album. Nobody plays on a Beatles album. And George said, well, John had his girlfriend sing on a song, so you can do whatever. And then he said, which is like very important to Beatles history, he said, it's my song, the others have nothing to do with it which is like a very big statement that sort of shows you the Beatles. You know, you know, you have every Lennon and McCartney song are jointly credited to Lennon and McCartney. Usually have this big camaraderie effort in the studio. This is like a, a big piece of evidence to say George and a lot of the other Beatles were thinking, no, it's my song. The Beatles are just the band, which is why, you know, in the seventies, which we'll get to eventually the Beatles, whenever the Beatles were on tour live, they would play their own Beatles songs that they wrote being like, it's my song. I know the Beatles played it, but it's mine. Um, and Eric Clap by Eric Clapton's request, his guitar was like dubbed and changed so that it would sound more Beatlesy, because he's like, I don't want it to sound like Cream, which was his band at the time. Like Eric Clapton is a very distinct, like sharp guitar playing style, and he's like, make it more Beatlesy. I don't want people to know it's me. And he's uncredited, but he does play guitar on this song. Um, I think he he and George both play um, guitar on it. Sorry, I think this. Hold on, I'm just gonna go, I hear a bunch, a bunch of bumps downstairs. Hold on, I'll be right back. <laughs> so we've got Eric Clapton on this song. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, interesting lyrics in the song that I'd love to hear your guys' interpretations on. Um, and that, it's, it's my guitar, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. It's very famous. It's George Harrison's song. It's his first on the album. I wanna know what you guys think. Bit of a snoozer, we can just pass over this one, I think. Let's move on. Let's go to By the way, this is Harrison's joke. Every time we come up to a legendary Beatles song, whether it's like Yesterday or Day in the Life, he's always like, this, this song kind of sucks, doesn't it? And then he's like, whatever. I mean, you continue to laugh. You continue to laugh, so it's a good joke. Now you have the key to Harrison's on-air personality. <laughs> no. Um, no, this is, I don't know. So we'll always go to this part when you talk about great songs where it's like, what can we say? that hasn't already been said and written about like a million times about these songs. Um, so I'll try to like, I'll just go to some points, but yeah, so all my stuff is just be like, it's a really good song. I said this may not have been George's best vocal performance, but probably was his best song, which again, not very, not really a hot take, but yeah, I don't think this was his, the only critique was not the best we've ever heard George sing probably. 
I really kind of liked his frayed vocals. I feel like it helps sort of beat into the fact that like this song is very emotionally charged and it deals with a lot of like, you know, political and philosophical meanings and like entendres and stuff. I don't know. I just feel like cohesively it sort of fits. Like it would be weirder if he had like a very smooth but at the same time, I also realize that if he did sound better, I probably would not be saying this. So. That's true, yeah. Also, that's actually a good point. But also, also another thing I wrote down was, I'm glad music videos weren't really a thing at this point in history, because I think this song would pair really, really badly with a music video. I don't, I don't really remember why I thought that, but I think it just, I know there's like a, a sort of music video now, which is sort of like the lyrics and the guitar, but I'm just like, I'm glad there wasn't one, because I just don't think it would work really well with it. I think it is such a powerful song when you hear it that like the visual a visual element I don't think would add too much to it or would actually maybe it would take away I think uh, that, oh sorry sorry no, no. Uh, I was just gonna say I think that uh, if they had made a video they would have sort of taken all the poeticism out of the lyrics like they would have made it way too literal and I yeah I, I, I fully agree with you that it just it as a standalone piece of art it just just works a lot better. There shouldn't be any like mixed media. Uh, I, I definitely agree with Caroline, especially in regard to George's vocals. I actually, I made a note for the song that I thought that his vocals had noticeably improved so much from the other George songs. Um, I think this is clearly his, the best George song by a country mile. Uh, second for me would be Blue Jay Way, which I don't know if that's like a popular take, but I just, I'm really interested by that song. But um, I didn't expect as many times as I'd heard the song, I still got chills like this as soon as I was playing it again, um, which is always a really nice feeling. I love the melody, the instrumentation is like, the, the layering of the guitars is so well done. Um, obviously the lyrics here, I feel are really insightful and thought provoking from him because I feel like for certain George songs, I think that there is uh, definitely something interesting there in terms of always giving his perspective on the world. But I think this is really the first time we've heard his perspective on the world and how that relates to him as a Beatle. Because like obviously individual lines that he has about um, how he feels about the world, about like how I see the love there that's sleeping, like that's like a knockout line to start a song. Um, but just saying like how, like, I don't know how they controlled you. I feel like that could be seen as like, um, he doesn't really know what to do with his influence as someone who's so big in the world and like how he can be so like anti-institution while still in a way having control over all these fans who like see him as like this figure to be looked up to. So it's really, really interesting song aside from just being really timeless in terms of sounding beautiful. It's, yeah, it's just a really great song. Yeah, this is one of my favorite Beatles songs. Um, I love this song. It's so well done musically. I love Paul's piano sort of riff that goes through the beginning of the song. Um, I love George's singing on this. And I think, um, you know, th there's that part at the end I always love where he's sort of singing right with the guitar part. I think it's so well done where he he's it's sort of wordless vocals, but they're right where the guitar is. So they sort of are like, you know, I'm doing a little DNA motion with my hands, but they're sort of like converging and they sound the same. Um, lyrically, I, I've always thought this song was about the Beatles. I always thought when he said you all, he was like literally looking at the other three Beatles and was like, why are we fighting? You know, who's controlling you? What's going on? But you can expand it into sort of any context. And I think, 
the best songs lyrically for me are always narrow enough that you can apply them to something and it makes sense, but broad enough where you could apply it to a lot of different things. You know, it's not so broad in the sense that it's abstract and you have no idea what it means, but it's not so narrow where you're like, oh, it's about this. It's a sort of perfect middle ground. I, I always love some of the lines that are like, I look at the floor and I notice it needs sweeping. It's like, it, it, it's, it's sort of grounding of like, is he just literally like, oh, this floor needs to be swept up? Is it like, you know, we're, we're so involved in these things that we're not taking care of our space? Like, it, it's some, some simple lines like that that some people would be like, why does he say that? I always think about. Um, I think it's, can, go on. I was going to say, if you're, doing, if you're doing a comparison with, if you do a comparison with Paul's most famous songs and then George's most famous, it was what we've sort of all said is the best, which there was, um, what was the one off of Sgt. Pepper? Like the really long and famous one with the sitar. Oh yeah, within you, without you. For that, George's really good songs tend to also be like instrumentally really big and like lyrically complex. When you look at Paul, Yesterday, Blackbird, a lot of his more famous songs tend to really be musically like simplified where it's just him and a guitar. I guess it's an interesting comparison because you see like, I know we're going to get to Helter Skelter later, but that's like a really big musical song. And it's probably, like it's not anywhere near George's best songs, or even really, in my opinion, Paul's best songs. It's interesting, like what they rely on to get their, to get the most out of them. Yeah, I think that. Um, I, I think what is so incredible is that George is able to use. He only has like three or four songs this album, and he's usually got one or two slots on an album. And I think from Rubber Soul on, he makes the most out of them, and their songs are always so so good. Whereas. You know, you, you might argue, well, Paul and John, you know, get more songs each album because they're better, but they also have much more range to, you know, have great songs and have not so great songs. Whereas I feel like George always knows, like, I'm only going to get a couple shots. So why don't I just make it the best? And I, I do agree that some of George's most famous songs, it, he seems, obviously, I've, I know nothing, like I know about George, but I don't know him at all in the same way because, you know, he's a completely different human being and I'll never You guys him. don't talk anymore. But he's like, he seems like a very um, thoughtful person. And that always comes through, I think, in his, you can tell with While My Guitar Gently Weeps, he didn't just make the lyrics up for the song. He, this is generally him thinking, I've always thought that George, I think I've said this before on the podcast, was probably the most honest Beatle in his songwriting. You really, and it always felt like it was him being so open on his songs. It was never like, he doesn't tell stories like Paul or John and he, he doesn't do metaphors a lot of this. It's like, this is how I feel. And I think that's really cool. Moving on, we have uh, the last song on side one of disc one, um, which is a John Lennon song that sort of follows up on the grandiose of All My Guitar. The first side of the first disc is very funny because you've got a lot of fun tracks and then while my kids are gently weeps and then this song happiness is a warm gun which they're both these sort of big uh sort of mind bendy ones um this one is a bit of a weird one it, it's sort of a uh, in the same style as like songs like bohemian rhapsody where it's got little like sections um i've always liked that and um it's a really interesting song musically no clue what it means lyrically. This is one of the only Beatles songs where I'm like, I, I just no, no idea, but um, I really like it and I want to know what you guys think. 
This is my favorite album, or this is my favorite song off the album. I love this song. I think it's so like weird and eclectic and I love how it's these different like fragments all kind of shoved together, but it's not like, you know, how some songs are just, you know, like there's a, I can't think there is a Tyler, the creator song. That's like, you know, back half nine one one, Mr. Lonely. And there's not a lot of like cohesive music that blends those two songs together. But here I think that it does blend really well, even though they are such different and jarring pieces. But yeah, no, I, this is my favorite song. Also, I just think that the poetry is such like, I don't know, the words and, and the, the fragments are such interesting visuals. I'm, I'm so glad that you said that. And I love that comparison you made as well. Uh, my hot take is that uh, this is one of my stealth picks for like best Beatles songs, period. Uh, I think oh, it's yeah. definitely one of their most underrated. Uh, it's like the stru- structurally, this song is so smart. The way that it builds and then just kind of releases at a certain point. Like the second half of this song, I think is perfect. I think this whole song is perfect, but I think that second half, especially like when he reaches like the high point, it's going like, gone, is like one of my favorite, a lot better than that. But that's like one of my favorite moments in any Beatles song. Just lyrically as well, I love the way that it plays with the gun metaphor, like the story of him reading some advertisement about guns that's so ridiculous, like happiness is a warm gun. So, okay, I'm gonna write a whole song about that and compare a gun to a person. I just think that's really, really clever. Um, I Yeah, I'm in love with this song. Everything about that second half is like what I love about the Beatles. So I, I am a big, big fan. I also like how it's just like a vehicle for John to horny post about Yoko. <laughs> he just yeah. he's really, really wants to have sex with her in this song. Yeah, in case it wasn't clear to the other Beatles, he needs to write a song <laughs> about it and put it on there. But it's that good that, that I think they should be okay with it by the, this point. Uh, following that, I guess. Um, I think I, I knew the song and I knew that the Beatles had a song with that name, but I never realized it was the same song. I don't know how that, that makes any sense, but like, I just didn't know. I didn't know, I had heard the song before. I didn't know that song was Happiness is a Warm Gun. So for some reason I went into it thinking like, I'm probably not gonna like this song. Cause I know Tyler's talked about it, like, oh, I love this song. It's a great John song. And I just don't agree with anything Tyler ever says. So I was like, I hate it. But I actually did really like it. I love the repeated lyric of Mother Superior jumped the gun and like, it's just overall really strong vocal performance. I'll have to be a question to Ryan, but I was like, did Ringo sing anything on this? Because for some reason I thought some of it sounded like him. I was just, I had to ask, I had to see. And if you hear dogs barking in the back, that's just Malden. Um, I don't think Ringo sings at all on this one, um, but sorry about that. Uh, this song, I think, is I. Funnily enough, I actually love the first half of this song more. I've always really loved the intro. I think the intro to this song is so cool. Um, it always feels very like mysterious and like he's playing in a dark room. Uh, these first opening lines. I love when he says. Um, like a lizard on a window pane because nobody knows what that means and nobody it's like oh it's like when there's a lizard on the window pane like duh, duh. Um, I love the the lyrics um, my one of my favorite John lyrics ever is 
when he says lion with his eyes while his hands are busy working overtime. I love how he says it, how there's harmony. I think it's such a cool lyric. I really like the second half too. Um, this song, I don't, I, it might've been inspiring for Paul because I always think of this song as being similar to Band on the Run, which is a very famous Paul song that also has that structure. And they're kind of similar sounding. And um, I, I've always really liked this song. And um, I, I just love, I love the introduction of the song. I love the do 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 do. I'm like, ooh, I always get like excited to listen to it when he does that. Um, I think it's a wait, great way to close out the first side too. Wait, Brian, Paul McCartney from the Beatles is the same Paul McCartney from Wings? <laughs> yes, he is. Why did no one ever mention that before? Wings yes. is such the, Wings is such a better band. Well, sometimes it's called Paul McCartney and Wings. So, which I've always, side note, I was watching some, some, uh, some documentary about Tom Petty. I always thought it was kind of weird that there were bands like Wings or it's called Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. The other Heartbreakers must feel like shit being like, yeah, it's Tom's band. We're just hanging out. Like Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Right, yeah, it's like, well, we're just the East. Imagine me like, oh, I'm in the E Street Band. It's a lot different than saying I'm Bruce Springsteen, or at least everybody in the Beatles can say like, oh, I was in the Beatles. But if you're like, yeah. oh, I was in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Well, you weren't Tom Petty. So I think it'd be better rather than just all of them being named the Heartbreakers. They should just, the, the whole name of the group should just be all their names. So like Tom <laughs> Petty and Dave and Rick and Brian and Steve. The worst, the worst one is Bon Jovi because they're all named after Bon Jovi. He's John Bon Jovi and everybody else is just, they don't even get names. At least you, the rest of the people with Tom Petty get to be the heartbreakers. But in Bon Jovi, everybody's literally just Bon Jovi. Um, maybe he new, adopted from, all of them. He's from New Jersey, so it's okay. Okay, hold on. Wait, before we like slander New Jersey, I just have to say that I don't, I don't know if this is a hot take or not. I'm not really that entrenched in like old men music, uh, but I do not like John Bon Jovi. I think he's corny as hell. <laughs> I, I need to, I would love to get into a 30 minute argument about John Bon Jovi. <laughs> But this is not three Bon Jovi's, and I need to move us. It'd be three not. Jovi's. I will say my my mom loves Bon Jovi. That, that's the bon point jo I was just about to make. His peak mom music. The only bon people who like John Bon Jovi are people <laughs> our age's moms. Yeah. My first concert I ever went to was a Bon Jovi concert. I was sick. Oh, no, I was six. sick. And it was sick. It was. And I was six, and I got mad that he did an encore because I was tired. <laughs> I was like, he said it at 10, Stop! it's 10.30, I want to go to sleep. Moving on, Put as it we away. must, we flip over to side two of disc one, and it's a song called Martha, My Dear. This is one of those songs, if you know the Beatles at this point, you hear the song, and the first thought that comes to my head is, John Lennon would have hated this song. And I always think about that when I hear one of these Paul songs. I just go, oh, it's a, John would hate this one. Uh, I like Martha, my dear. I think it's a fun little ditty, but I also recognize it's probably not up to snuff with some of the other songs of this album. Um, it's written about Paul's dog, if anybody wants to know. Um, he had a sheepdog named Martha. And so, Why would you name it Martha? That's such a weird... I, I get giving animals like, it's, real it's, names. I like should say it's Martha? named after Martha. It, it's not like about like the dog. 
I mean, I maybe it mention, is, but... I should mention, I read about it, and not only is it named about it, I think he was interviewed about it, and someone was like, oh, so it's about a girl. It's like, no, it's just my dog. I just have a platonic relationship that, with my dog. The, the song, the wing song, Jet, is named after his another one of his dogs. Like, Paul McCartney just loves dogs, I guess. I want an all-dog album. The songs he gets at are great. Anyways, what did you guys think of this? Wait, you've kind of ruined it, because there's this lyric that's like, hold your head up, you silly girl. Like, he's just telling the dog to look at something. Yeah, he's literally holding the dog's I head thought, up. I thought it was like, oh, cheer up, like no, my love. When, it when still can be. When he says, hold your head up, you silly girl, look what you've done, I've always thought it was she pooped. And he was like, Martha, <laughs> you pooped on the carpet. Look at what you did. Look what you've done. I think, I think we can all probably agree that the Beatles at this point in their lives were probably not the most responsible pet owners. I, I disagree. Like, I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna you, say. You think that John was capable of taking care of another human? I didn't. I, I think. <laughs> I think Martha. She's in a lot of photos, and she was a very old sheep dog, and it seems she was well loved. So I'm going to let I, put put my hat in the Paul treated his dog I feel like well. I'm not, fish. I'm not saying that it was neglect or the dog was mistreated. I'm just saying like now you are. He, Paul is not someone I would like trust my hamster with. I would I think trust, of all like, of the Beatles, I would probably trust yeah, him most I would with trust, the hamster. I would trust him most. I would trust like, him most or George, but I would come to George and be like, where's my dog? And he'd be like, your dog is where he belongs. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> what does that mean? the animal. Yeah, he's like, your dog, is, your dog has become, you know, spiritually like, inclined. One with, with the yeah. world. <laughs> your dog has returned from whence he came. <laughs> yeah, that's his way of telling you he got hit by a car. Whereas John would be like, John would be like, <laughs> I shot your dog. <laughs> and Ringo would be like, oh, they got a lot of fur, don't Ringo they? would be like, you had a dog. No, I would trust Ringo with my pet. I think he's the only one who, like, is actually concerned about his family at this point in their lives. <laughs> so, like, I would trust Ringo. What did Ringo you guys think of the song? <laughs> <laughs> I love the song. I had never heard it in its original form. I was mainly familiar with it because uh an artist i like saint vincent did a cover of it that i really love so oh my god her cover is fantastic it's amazing i listen to it all the time i'm so happy about that um it's i i this song is absolutely lovely whether it's about a dog or a person just say it's about a person but the melody is so pretty it's so full of emotion um a horn section in any song particularly a beatles song is like the key to my heart so like I love that that was there. I love how earnest and longing all the lyrics feel. It's just I love it, and I love that it's a great example of how progressive their music was at this point. The fact that their songs at this point were never just one thing; they were always about new ideas, constantly like stacking on top of each other as the song goes along. Like add a horn section here, add a string section in the back, and it just feels so right. So I really love this song. It's so pretty. New ideas like dog. <laughs> There is no yeah. better dog song, okay? I, I also like this song. I it was musically really strong. I think it would probably be pre- performed really well live, which is, I think, honestly, you can probably say that about most Paul, Paul songs, because I think he, there's another, there's a lot of background noise. So you can hear a car racing in the back. <laughs> is Malden like in Mad Max right now and nothing else? <laughs> before I turned on my mic and while we were recording, there was either gunshots or like, 15 minutes of firecrackers like something was going on but anyway i was gonna say paul's i think paul was still at least sometimes writing for like the crowd whereas like the other beatles seem to be like i'm gonna write this song and like it may never have actually been performed well live if they ever did perform it live paul seems to always be writing like this would go well in a concert 
thing you probably see. Yeah. Like, I think that's an astute observation because Paul has always been a big fan of playing live and he was actually the, the last Beatle to relent to not having shows anymore. Yeah, I like... I just, oh. No, we'll go on, go on, go on. Okay, I just think it's, I think it's sappy and it's sweet and, you know, I just, I'm obsessed with the piano piece I, I or the riff. I, I learned it when I was studying piano. So it would just like bang out. So it just is always like in, in my head. But um, yeah, I think it's, you know, dorky a little bit, but cute. Yeah, I like this song a lot. Um, I like Martha, my dear. It's a fun little ditty. Um, it's uplifting. It's pretty good. Not much more to say. And Caroline would agree, listen to that St. Vincent cover. <laughs> she's um, so good. She's amazing. Moving on, we have a John Lennon song called I'm So Tired. Um, I said earlier that John Lennon has some great titles here, like Happiness is a Warm Gun, Continuing Story of Bungalow Bill. Then he's got ones where you're pretty sure what it's about. He says, I'm tired. And the lyrics are like that. He was in India when he wrote it. He was tired. He couldn't sleep. He missed his new boo, uh, Yoko. And he was like, I just, I haven't, I'm so tired. I haven't slept a wink. And that's what he wrote. Um, I like the song a lot. Um, what did you guys think? I just have so many memories of like having some sort of existential crisis and putting this on and just floundering in my own like emotional desolation. Cause like, like John, I would not have slept for like, you know, three days. So it's just a very relatable tune. Yeah. I, um, I really love how this song establishes its atmosphere. Like the atmosphere of this song feels so potent. You immediately feel exactly what it wants you to feel. It just feels so hazy and slow and downtrodden. And then also the way that it just, the song kind of like John just kind of like wakes up at certain points and then it just kind of goes back to sleep. I think that's a really neat uh, way to kind of bring that to life. Like it's sort of how he sounds wide awake at certain points and other kinds, other times just kind of murmuring a little, murmuring a little bit. Um, it's a really cool song. For some reason, it reminds me of like some old songs by like Donovan, this old uh, artist in the 60s, who I guess worked with John on Julia, surprisingly. Um, but I feel like this would be in the end credits of like Zodiac or something. It's like some weird kind of haunting song. It's like innocent on its own. And then you pair it with something else and it just sounds like mysterious and off. So I really liked it. I don't have a ton to say about the song because my notes, I didn't write many notes down because I think I just liked it. So I was probably just listening to it instead of writing things down. But yeah, overall, strong song. Enjoyed it. I probably should listen to it again because if, because I hope that was a firework and not gunshots. But anyway, I don't know if you guys can hear the sound that I can hear. I just heard oh, that we one. can. It's not comforting. <laughs> I also think there was a man singing. I think it was a man loudly singing. My neighbor, I could be wrong. But anyway, Do you know what he was singing? I may have been show tunes, but you have nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> hey, some he could be he could have been singing like West Side Story. He could be in a gang. He could be prepping. Or side anyway, or something. Ryan, what's your opinion? I like I'm so tired. Um, I love the uh, chorus area where it picks up, and when he's like, "I wonder if I should call you," and he starts shouting, and then I do love sort of that. I don't know if it's a bridge or not. But when it sort of starts getting this like thumping beat, 
to it. Uh, I think it's a really fun song lyrically. I think it's a cool sort of sequel. There's a Revolver song that we talked about, I'm Only Sleeping. And it's sort of got the same mood and feel, which uh, I like both songs a lot. That really explains fun. why I love this one, because I that was like one of my favorites. Yeah, I, love, I love both songs. I think um, I'm So Tired has a... Uh, has a really fun little charm to it. John Lennon really liked it. He said it was one of his favorite tracks. He thought he sung well on it. And I agree. Um, I just really like how he uh, swears out Sir Walter Raleigh. I just think, yeah. I just think like, what a weird historical figure. He was such him. a stupid git. <laughs> like, I understand you're blaming him for your, like, cigarette tobacco addiction. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. Why not was... shit on more, like historical political <laughs> british figures I'm, I'm still waiting for the comeback diss track so <laughs> from, sir walter it, from sir walter raleigh uh the next song on side two is blackbird a paul mccartney uh, solo composition it's basically just paul on an acoustic guitar it's been said to be about a lot of things but most famously about the civil rights struggle that was happening in the united states uh bird is an english term for girl so he was thinking of a black girl when he wrote this song it's a you know it's a pretty famous tune a little ditty by paul mccartney with its own little uh a mix of bird sounds in it uh because it's kind of about birds a little bit uh, what did you guys think of this little blackbird tune uh for me uh i mean obviously this is one of his finest songs as both like a guitarist and a songwriter it's a masterpiece of a song i i get a little caught off guard every time i listen to it because i think i'm not gonna get like a little misty eyed and then it happens every time. And I don't know how to prevent that from happening. So oh, it just has Tyler. to keep happening. It's a really great song. Um, I love the bird chirps in it as well. I think that's such a nice touch because it would already be like a perfect song without it anyways. And he's like, oh, I just want to put some birds, record some birds. And then you record some birds and you're like, oh yeah, that's what I needed. Um, I don't have anything especially insightful to say about anything it could mean. I just, I, I know what it means to me and I really like it. So I, I, I'm a, I really love the song. Just going off of that, it's actually because, so I'm, I'm a mediocre guitar player, but I think a lot of mediocre guitar players can play the guitar part to this. So it's weird because it's like such a famous thing, but it's not overtly complicated. Like once you get it down. And I think this song is a really good example. Of like it, the whole is greater than its parts. Like, I don't think this is Paul's best vocal performance, it's not his most musically complicated one just because it's just an acoustic guitar. But like if, if I can sound pretty good playing the guitar piece, then you know it's not incredibly complicated. So like I think it's just an interesting thing of like, he was able to put a really great song together, even though individually, if you just isolate the elements, it's not the best of either his guitar playing or his singing. I just think it's such like a beautiful lullaby. And I think what, I love about the White Album is that it does like the comedy and the tongue in cheek and the sarcasm really, really well. But then when it has these quiet, contemplative melodies and, and, you know, a lot of like grief, it seems that they're working through in certain points. I just think that they are able to balance this, like the chaos really well and, and to have these really like emotive and meaningful songs on top of like goofy, ridiculous things like, glass onion yeah uh i I think blackbird's a a well-respected track for a reason it's it's cute it's charming um i think if it if it really is about the civil rights struggle it's it's sort of a a low a low-key respectable 
tune. It's not like I'm a white guy from England claiming to know about the inner conflict. He's just sort of like, I have sympathy. Um, I think it's sort of a charming track. It's, um, I think it's, it's a, one of those things sort of like what Harrison was saying, if another artist made it, it probably wouldn't sound or have the same feelings it did, but Paul's able to put a lot of great, um, subtle energy into it. Um, and I like it. It's, uh, I'm not a huge fan of just acoustic music and, um, this isn't my favorite song on the white album, but it's a great song and, um, I like it. We then have another song about animals, a bit different. It's George Harrison's second contribution. It's called Piggies. Um, this is a whole can of worms if you're into sort of, you know, George Orwell tile, or George Orwell style writing. Um, I, I always thought this song was like kind of a direct Animal Farm reference. Um, it's a really interesting lyrical thing. I actually don't fully understand the lyrics in the sense of I don't, I don't really have the political mind to fully get, but he certainly, George is on this song has a very notable sarcastic little uh, tone to his voice. I always found the song a little creepy, maybe because of the pig noises on it, but this in Blue Jay way, I think George has a, a bit of a fondness for songs that kind of unsettled me. Uh, I want to know what you guys think about piggies. I didn't get it. That's my like, that's the one note I wrote down that I really like. Um, I also I thought it was a reference to Animal Farm or just Animal Farm, the song. But yeah, I didn't, didn't get it. And that's probably, probably all I have to say on the song. Um, my take on it is that it's a pretty awesome capitalism diss track. Um, I first of all, oh my god, when the song started, I'm like, what instrument is this going to be? And then it starts with the harpsichord, and I didn't even know I needed that, but I love the harpsichord. It's rad. More bands should use it. So I was really happy it was used, but it was also, it kind of, it had like a thematic meaning as well, aside from sounding really cool, because it just sounds like he's kind of crashing like some old, some very stuffy old party full of like these really rich dudes, and he's just kind of mocking them walking through the tables or whatever. Um, I had never heard this song before, and you're right that it does have kind of like an unsettling energy about it. I find it, it's almost more like mystical to me. Like it just has this this very like, uh, I don't know, otherworldly feeling. And I, I really, really like it. I, uh, I didn't anticipate that, uh, I don't know, that a song like this would be on this album. But I like the comparison you made to Blue Jay Way, another song because I really like. So I really dug it. The song slaps. I love it. It's like, I don't know. It's like if V for Vendetta was like coherent and they had like an actual like philosophy behind it and it's not just like kill all the bourgeois men. Uh, I don't know. I think it's really intelligent, I guess, which is kind of ironic because the whole metaphor is about pigs, which are not, at least to my knowledge, intelligent creatures. They are very intelligent. Creatures. Are they really? Yeah, pigs are oh, smart. That ruins my, okay, well. But they're also, pigs are scary because this is the subsection of the podcast where we just talk about pigs, but they'll eat anything. Like have, literally Have you guys anything. seen Oh, wait, what is it called? Snatch? Uh, the Guy Ritchie film? <laughs> I don't know that. This, is, oh. this I promise this, this is related, but so there's this mob boss in London and the way that he like disposes of bodies is that he has his pigs eat them because oh. they eat everything. They're... And Tyler, if you like harpsichord, there is a song 
<laughs> in that film called Golden Brown by the Stranglers. It's got this incredible harpsichord riff. You should really listen to it. Okay, noted. I've been meaning to see that for a while, and that you just moved it up for me. My last, so my last point on the tangent is the always sunny quote where Frank says, I've seen many pigs eat a man. He says, I've seen a pig eat a man. He goes, I've actually seen many pigs eat many men. Um, pigs can't. Their necks. I'm like, moving on move. from pigs no, and so a, a pig has never seen, like, I can't look at the sky, which is that sad. That sucks for pigs. Oh, wait, do you know that they poem about thumbs. the two-headed calf? Where it's like, no, he can't no. look up, but he stares at the, at the, um, I think I, the yeah. stars, you know, one last time before he gets killed oh, by no, the farmer. Not, that sounds really depressing. Oh, Anyways, it's so beautiful. back to the Beatles song. <laughs> this, this episode is like wrangling kids, trying to get them to go somewhere. Oh, so it's like the White Album? Anyways, <laughs> I think this song's interesting. I like it. Um... The only other thing I'll say is I don't want to bring this up a lot during the episode because it's disturbing, but this is one of the songs that uh, notorious evildoer Charles Manson thought was like prophetic. And George Harrison was like, you, you didn't get it. You, you, congratulations. You missed the boat completely. Um, I, I won't delve into it at all. Cause this isn't a true crime podcast. But uh, this, this is one of those, uh, along with some other songs that you probably know. The next song is Rocky Raccoon. Um, honestly, another stinker from Paul on this album for me. I see this as sort of like a follow-up to uh, Bungalow Build, sort of this weird country uh, Western tune. And I'm usually a Paul McCartney stan, and he's got some of my favorite songs of all time, uh, including on this album. But this, to me, is in the wild honey pie category of why did you make this? But um, what did you guys think I about it? I don't think it's as bad as wild honey pie. How my first, my first note was, you got to leave the country songs to Ringo. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's my opinion. I think the song gets much better when it transitions from the country style because it happens at some point. And also... I believe there was harmonica in it, which I, I believe which I really like the harmonica and the piano part. For some reason, I was like, this sounds exactly like um, the piano part to Piano Man. Like if, if you took that part out and said, this is Billy Joel, I'd be like, OK, that makes sense. But then which I'm sure it sounds nothing like it. But when I listened to it, I was like, it's the exact same. But yeah, I don't know. It's, a, it's not I don't think it's as bad as you do, Ryan. But I think you got to leave the country songs to Ringo. I really like this song and I realize I guess this is a controversial opinion but I think it's like almost Dylan-esque in like it's storytelling and it's you know spoofing of the that movie. that may be why I hate this song because I'm ah. a I am a Bob Dylan and I am his arch an nemesis yeah I'm an anti-Dylan arch nemesis <laughs> yeah I'm the guy writing this I hate blonde on blonde you should never have released it <laughs> Well, like, you know, it just, it's got this meandering, like, I don't know, odyssey of this guy named Rodley, Rocky Raccoon. And I just, I love the, I don't know, I just really like what Paul does with uh, the chorus. I just think the chorus is super catchy. And I love how he says, like, only to find Gideon's Bible. It's just, like, very, I don't know. I like it. It's catchy. It's funny. And... I don't know. I, I think it does not deserve such vitriol. 
I think it's a good song. I'd like to say I've never had my opinion change so much from the beginning of a Beatles song to the end of it. Because at the beginning, I wasn't really feeling it. And at the end, I was like, oh, this song's wonderful. I was... I was wrong, and I guess by extension, I'm sorry, Ryan Harrison. I I no. really vehemently disagree no, with you. No, they're about wrong. It's no, no, okay. no, no. I, I, <laughs> we're on the right side. <laughs> I think I we said are. It got, I said it got better as it went along. I didn't okay. like the beginning. Ryan hated it completely. And I think if it's, I don't know. I, I think Ryan and I could have a separate podcast of reasons why we don't <laughs> like Bob Dylan. <laughs> I, me from me just of him as a person, Ryan for the music, but. That's also a separate discussion, I guess. So, yeah, he but, can't sing, but he's got—he's a good writer. It's, it's he's not got, the music. I'm fine with the music. I think he's an awful person. Okay, that's fair. That's um, about. But who, who was a good person in the '60s? Genuinely. Joan Baez. David Bowie. <laughs> Bob um, Dylan's much cooler girlfriend. <laughs> I. Yeah. So everything Caroline said is accurate. Um, I th- I'm sure when I re-listen to it, I'm, I'm going to end up liking the first part uh, again because uh, I, I I mean, end up liking the first part rather than the first time that I heard it because I think that the whole song really comes together for me more and more as I listen to it. But um, the harmonica, I was so glad the saloon piano returned. There were several albums. There was like a while we got saloon piano here and there. And I was like, oh my God, I love that. And then it disappeared for like at least one, maybe two full albums. It was gone. They didn't care about saloon piano. I don't think now it's back. I don't think we've had a saloon piano since Beatles for sale. Like It's been a while. I will say, and I know Tyler will be very hurt by this. This is the final Beatles song that includes harmonica. It's a visual bit, Tyler. It didn't yeah, work. A, Tyler did a really funny visual bit where he threw his headset, but it made no <laughs> noise, so it wouldn't matter to anyone. It's okay. I think they felt it. Um, yeah, so for me, I just, I love that it was kind of like a sea shanty folk tale thing um, mixed with Dylan, as you mentioned, obviously. It's just weird and delightful, and it shouldn't work, and it completely does for me. I just had to give into it. Yeah. Um... For me, this song inspired the name Rocket Raccoon for the Marvel character, and that's kind of cool. But other than that, I don't like this song at all, and I guess I don't get it. I just, the charm is not for me. Um, And I think anything that I like, could like about this song, I get in Bungalow Bill, but just better. So I, I don't like this at all. Um, I think it has better harmonics than Buffalo Bill. I, I agree. I think it, the the chorus here is so much better. I than just the hear Yoko Bill. screeching. There's no <laughs> Yoko screeching. Some, something about it, just maybe it's because I heard Bungalow Bill first and it's earlier in the track listing. It just feels like, I don't know. I, I don't care about all this crap with Gideon's Bible. And I, I don't know. <laughs> That's um, the next song is the first song Ringo Starr wrote for the group. It is called Don't Pass Me By. It is another country number. I love this song. I I don't know how I'm able to switch it up, but I love Don't Pass Me By. I will say this before I let you guys get into it. There's, okay. Um, There's, in the the first, sorry, I'm gathering my thoughts. This has always bothered me about this song. I love this song. It's, It's swanky. It's got this, it sounds like Ringo's drumming. It's sort of like, and it's got this sort of like sloppy, sophisticated feel that I think is cool. 
But in the chorus, the first line is don't pass me by, don't make me cry, don't make me blue. But then when the chorus ends, he says, don't pass me by, don't make me cry on like a high note, like he's about to say something else. And then he doesn't say, don't make me blue. And it always, I just say, where is it, Ringo? But that that's my thought. I really, really like this song. And I think it's a great song for do, Ringo. Do you think Ringo sing. just forgot to write the third line? Or he might have. Choice? He might have. Um, but I think other than the the verses are okay on this song. It's it's not my favorite song on the album, but I think the chorus is really fun, and I think Ringo puts a lot of soul into it. And I just look, I love that first couple lines of the chorus: "That don't pass me by, don't make me cry, don't make me blue." I love it. I I thought this is like one of the weaker songs on the album. So Caroline actually won't be joining us <laughs> next week for part two. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just think it's really interesting how I love Rocky Raccoon. You hate Rocky Raccoon. You love Don't Pass Me By. I really don't. I think it's just weak. I think the lyrics are corny. I think, I mean, Ringo is not exactly a great songwriter. Um, I just don't. I think he's relies on too many like tropes. Um, But I don't know. They're both like of the country and Western diaspora, I guess. I don't know. I just think it's interesting how two sides of the same coin. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of corny compared to everything else because it felt too sappy. Well, everything else is like a bit tongue in cheek or you can tell that it's like a very heartfelt thing. This kind of just felt like a, Oh, we'll toss it in there, you know, get some radio appeal. Yeah, um, I'm going to be honest. I once again agree with Caroline on this. I think that Ringo, so here's the thing with Ringo. So I'm always happy when he gets his showcase to be like, I'm a cowboy. Like, I think that's great. And I'm, I'm happy for him. I just, I never feel like they're among the stronger half of whatever album they're on. Um, I'm not huge on his vocal here, on his vocals here, to be honest, like his voice is never, it's probably never really stood out to me as much as the other Beatles. I think it's better utilized on songs that commit more to the Western thing, even if that's not really my style of music. But I like the hook, as Ryan mentioned. I like the sound of the piano because it sounds kind of off, like it kind of sounds like it's almost like underwater or something. Um, I don't think it's a bad song. I think it's just all right. I would agree. It's one of the weaker songs in the album. But um, I'm glad he's having fun. I have never been able to contain my rage more than I am right now. But no, I um, I actually, I, I think I'm not as in love with this as Ryan is, but I was a fan of this song. I think it felt like a jam band song. Even though I don't know how long it was. I feel like it, you could have cut like 30 seconds off of it and you would be like, oh, this is a much better song. This goes a bit too long for me. But other than that, I really did like it. And I think there's a fiddle in it. I could be wrong. But if there is, I pick that out right, Ryan. I need a, I need a verbal check, a verbal confirmation for the podcast. There audience. is. I will tell you there is a violin um, on this track and I think maracas. The two best instruments. You just need that and a dream and then you have a great song. So yeah, I think this is not as bad as what the other two fools on this podcast are saying listen i I will concede the maracas are a good addition but everything else sorry yeah i just i would listen to 
Rocky Raccoon like twenty times before I ever listen to this. To be honest, I I'm gonna I'm gonna start talking so I don't have to think about what you just said. Um, <laughs> the the one thing I'll say this isn't a strong song lyrically or really musically compared to the rest of the song. But an interesting fact is it was written in 1962 when Ringo joined the band and they just didn't record it until 68 with the album. So I think it's kind of more on par with what the rest of the Beatles were writing for the first couple albums. And if this had been included there, I think it would have been fine. The issue is it's a 1962 quality song when we're in 1968 and the Beatles have sort of leapfrogged that. But I do really like this song. I completely agree with that. This is a song, by the way, that this is just Ringo and Paul. I don't know if John and George were unavailable or if they didn't want to make the song with Ringo, but Paul was there. Paul and Ringo, a very close, um, you know, in the Beatles and even today, uh, and they did a lot of songs to get. There's a lot of songs um, that Ringo does that Paul's on, and even on this album, there's songs that Paul does solo. And usually, if he's doing a solo song, it's just him, or he'll bring in Ringo. But um, I thought that was interesting. At this, at least in '68, this definitely changes a lot over the years. But you could kind of see a divide, maybe because they left meditation early and that caused a rift. But Paul and Ringo are a bit more close, and John and George are a bit closer, which we'll we'll touch on later. Um, we only have a few more songs to go um, in uh, this already. This this part one of two is already longer than most of our episodes, but it, it'll work out. Anyways, I'll just have to cut your horrible rants about Rocky Raccoon or whatever. <laughs> this is censorship. The, the next song is a minute 40. I, I can't defend how much I like this song, but I have to say that I love this. It's called, I, it's called Why Don't We Do It In The Road. And Paul, Mc I'm not making this up. Paul McCartney was in India on a street, and he saw two monkeys in the street doing their doing monkey making business. And he was like, "Oh, why can't humans do that?" And that's why he wrote the song. It's got two lyrics, and it's just Paul and Ringo jamming it. There. Before I get – I'll let you guys go before I give my personal opinions of the song. The only thing I'll give is an anecdote, which I might have already told to the guys. I don't know if it was recorded, but basically John Lennon liked the song, but he wasn't asked to play on it. And he's like, it was a simple lyric, which I like to do songs like that, and I thought it was a cool song, and I wanted to be on it. And Paul would always go off and do songs on his own, and I never did that. And the interviewer then goes, Julia, and John's like, what about it? He's like, isn't that a song where you did completely on your own? And John's like, yeah, what's your point? Um, so I thought that was funny. I also thought um, it was it was interesting to mention. And, and Paul's defense was, well, you didn't ask me to help on Revolution 9. So I made this. And those boy, are those two songs different. But um, what, what did you guys think about um, why don't we do it in the road? I think this is where we can reconcile because I also fucking love this song. I think it's fantastic. It is so funny. And I don't know. It's just like in your face a little bit, especially for like the sixties where, you know, if you mentioned sex in any sort of degree, it was immediately like the Catholic church coming down and being like, you can't ever do that again or we'll kill you. Um, I just think it's fantastic. I think it's, I don't know. It's very childish in like its structure, but I, I really enjoy that 
Yeah, Paul's vocal range is the song. Like the song is him. There, there. I've like every once in a while, like you'll get amazing Paul songs on a song on an album, obviously, and then near the end he'll just have like one where he just like belts it for no reason. He'll just have a song where he just goes crazy. And you're like, where did this come from? Not that like Blackbird would have been better if he sang like this, because it needs to be sung like that. But like, oh my God, he really knew how to move his voice when he wanted to. So I I enjoyed the song a lot. He he went ham. Yeah, I think that's the best part of the entire song is just Paul's voice in it, which just shows I think he is. I think most people agree vocally he is the strongest Beatle, just because he always sounds like there's I mean, he can sound like 50 different people or like 100 different people with his voice, which is always sort of impressive. I also thought there was a really good drum part at the beginning, like a really strong drum opening. I feel like, I don't think we've made any comments on Ringo's drumming the entire time. Dude was in bashing his lyric writing and his, and his singing, I, which is like I, uncalled for. Ringo but, is, is a top five drummer all time, top three maybe, and he's so good on every album. I think we don't mention him because he's just so solid. It's like, yeah, Ringo's great every song. And I wanted to point out that opening beat he does, I think about that at least three times a day. I'm not kidding. I'll just pat it on my leg, just bum, 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 bum. And I love this song. This is one of, if I, if you have, if you have this song playing in your car, and nobody else is there. It's the most fun Beatles song to sing. If you just follow Paul on this crazy ride he does with his vocals, I think I love the feel of it. I like that it's really bluesy and Ringo's just kind of swinging it like throughout the whole song. I love this song. I love it. It's. I wish it was just this on loop. I wish it was. It was a double the length and it was just another loop of it, so I didn't have to rewind it at the end. But it's so good. I really, really like this song. I can't explain why. Like one, two of my favorite songs this album are While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which is just this beautiful, like well put together masterpiece of a song. And Why Don't We Do It In The Road, which is just this like grungy, just like two lyric thing. That's just a minute and a half of just Paul screaming. And I love it. Oh, boy, I love this song. Anyways, there's two songs left and they're both much slower. The next one is I Will by uh, Paul McCartney. Um, it's uh, another love ditty on Paul McCartney's repertoire. Uh, what did you guys what did you guys think of this one? Huh? What, what I, about this one? Huh? <laughs> I want to disagree with you about something. Earlier, you said that uh, the transition from Bungalow Bill to My Guitar Gently Weeps is the funniest transition on this album. And you're wrong because it's this. I burst out laughing when I heard the opening of this song because I'm like, oh, that's the same guy who's just apparently calmed down after last song, after seeing those monkeys do that and that made him do that and now he's fine. He's all lovey-dovey. Um, I will say Paul has <laughs> insane range on this album because I've seen, there's a YouTube video of him playing two songs live a couple years ago and it's Helter Skelter and then Blackbird. And that's what he does is he goes, yeah, smashes his guitar. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. He's, he's the man has layers. Um, yeah, he, he really does. That It's just one of the all-time funniest transitions from any song on any album I've heard. It's such, the song itself is really sweet. His voice is so gentle. 
it's not especially complex. It's like, hey, I love you. Paul's great at that. I don't need anything more than that. He's great at songs like this. So I will always welcome it. It's a lovely song. I, I agree. I love, I'm obsessed with the transition because it feels like a 14 year old going through puberty for the first time or he's just like sex, sex, sex. And then the emotional maturity takes over and he's like, well, I actually really enjoy spending time with you. And like, you know, I think we connect on like a deeper level. Um, to transition though, I do love this song. I think it's a beautiful love song. I, it's, you know, sappy and sweet and, and heartfelt. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's what the transition makes me think of. Caroline, I just have to say, it's such a funny allegory for a teenage boy to try first saying, why don't we do it in the road? And then that doesn't work. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. I'm actually sweet. I have a love song prepared. I was, uh, that wasn't even me. That was just funny. It was like you said, the first time they go through puberty, as if it happens multiple times. You guys haven't hit <laughs> men of puberty yet? Um, no, I... I, as everyone else, I was like, well, that's the weirdest shift ever in musical tone. But yeah, it's just like, it's a classic Paul song. I think this was, I'm trying to remember the song, but like if it was probably anywhere else in the album, it probably wouldn't be as memorable, just with the biggest tone shift of all time into it. But yeah, it's like, it's a classic Paul song. It's a good Paul song. Yeah, uh, to actually talk about the song a little bit, I, I like I Will. I think it's one of, I feel like at this point for me in the Beatles career, Paul's done a lot of songs like this and he doesn't really wow me with this one. And it feels sort of similar, but it, it's still good. It's still fun to hear. Um, I like that he sort of stays in this falsetto the whole time. Like he's comfortable in it, which is, I mean, I think Paul McCartney is like the greatest singer or one of the greatest singers in music history. So like he, he just has such style. And I know we've been joking about the range um, and the shift, but he's able to, um, you know, shift around a lot, which is really cool. Uh, we have our final song, the one we mentioned uh, a minute or two ago. It's the only song in the Beatles history that is just John Lennon, and it's a song called Julia. And uh, if you know about John Lennon, you know his mother's name was Julia, and this song is kind of about her. She tragically passed away when John was, I think, 14. Uh, she got hit by a car, and that sort of obviously affected John and um, this song is sort of about her it's sort of about Yoko it's sort it's about a lot of things but I think it's a very tender soft way to end uh, this insane first half of the White Album it's sort of like a you've heard a lot of different things but I will into Julia is sort of like a nice gentle segue into the second side uh, what would you guys think of Julia I thought the song was Oh, so I, I didn't, I forgot that his mom's name was Julia, but I know his son was Julian. So I thought this was like about his son, but just not because John is, has all these repressed emotions and actually name it after his son. But like, that's not even like, that's more of a common son, I guess, his, his state of mind and all of his mental health stuff that I guess in the 60s, no one really did anything about. But no, I think this is probably... I wrote, this is the best song John has done so far. I think I probably meant like as a Beatle, not just on the album. I really, really love this song. Again, it was probably, I have only good things to say about it. And I think this is probably lyrically really, really beautiful. I don't want to like ruin the mood because this is a really beautiful song, but I, I thought of a horrible joke when uh, you mentioned that his, his mom uh, got hit by a car. 
related to the fact that, you know, that's why we don't do it in the road. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm cutting all of Caroline's content <laughs> out of this episode. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. It was just, it was screaming in my head and I had to let it out. I, I do love this song though. I've been obsessed with this song since I was like really, really little. Um, and I was, I don't know, the, the phrase ocean child calls me is just like always stuck in my head. It's just something that like, I don't know. I wish I could come up with like a line that beautiful and like interesting. And I just think this is like such a sad honoring of his mom's memory and like you know she, she i from what i understand is that they had a sort of a difficult relationship and that he was not raised by her and he had only like just reunited with her when she died so it's like he's honoring the memory of a woman that he never really knew but he always wanted to know and i just i, I really like the the tragedy of that um yeah uh it's it's extremely poignant song i mean there's no doubt about it the fact that he was the only beetle playing on the song just feels right um the fact that they just kind of gave him that space to to do that the the melodies reminded me a lot of elliot smith like it just seemed it just had this atmosphere about it that that i don't know it just seems like like there's only one person in the world that at a time that should be listening to it or something it just feels that personal um, the way he kept singing her name, too, like, every single time you repeated her name, it just felt sadder, like he was, like, reaching out or something. So it was really, really heartbreaking. Very very good end of the first half of the album. But, yeah, yeesh. Very also, good. I guess an interesting and very sad parallel between John's relationship with his mom and then his son's relationship with him. Because, like, they didn't really, just not get too much into to it but like I know he wasn't a really wasn't a great father to his first son didn't really spend all that much time with him and he had him when he was like in his 20s and obviously John would be killed like 12 years after the song was released so even then like you know would never get to reach out to his first son and like try to connect with him again so it's like a weird I know it's, it's a sad and weird parallel that obviously John couldn't have known about at the time but you do see like maybe some of his own strange relationship with his son is somehow worked into this song about his relationship with his mom. Yeah, I, I, as I've mentioned before, and as as anybody who knows me knows, I, I'm not a fan of just like acoustic music, but this song is very beautiful and touching. And I think it, John Lennon, like as a person, it, it's the same thing where it's like we know a lot about the Beatles, we don't really know that much about them. You know, they're, you know, they're just famous people, and we don't actually know them. But he's all he's always been a very complicated figure. And he, he's a very complicated person and there's a lot about him, but there's something so human about a lot of his music. And I think Julia is a, a prime example of just how raw he could be of the, it's, it's not a metaphor. It's not anything. It's just like, this is how I feel. And like, you know, it, it it's very, I think what Caroline was saying was probably true about his relationship with his mom. And I, I think it's something not a lot of people can relate to, but it, it, it must be an interesting to interesting position to be in when you're, you know, 26 or 27. He, he said he wrote it about the childhood he never really had to try and think about like, you know, who, who was my mom and like, how do I feel about that? And you could definitely tell there's sadness here, but it's not like crying sad. It's sort of just like, 
um, like sort of like loss, sad, which is, um, it's painful, but it's also really well done. Um, and uh, I really like it. And I think it's a fitting, um, fitting song to go out on because it's so good. Even though it's not about monkey sex. Even though it sex, isn't. Yeah. The only, we've only covered half, and by half I mean one, of the songs that relate to monkeys on this album because boy do we have another one coming up spoiler alert it has the greatest song title in beatles history it's called everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey which sounds like a fallout boy title but it's so good and i really like it and there's so many more songs like that on the second half of this album that we'll be discussing next time so many great ones coming up so many famous ones one of my favorite beatles songs ever um, like in my top five is on this second half of the album and we've mentioned it today and I think people might be surprised that I like it so much, but I'm excited to get to it. I'm excited to have you all here to listen to it. I'm excited that Caroline is joining us on our journey through the White Album and we will see you all next week for the second half of our discussion of the Beatles White Album here on Radio Ryan Presents. Three Ringos, three, four Ringo, three and a half Ringos. WCCS Wheaton College Radio Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.